Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, and we did not see Man United capitulate at Anfield like everybody in the world seemed to expect, including, I don't want to say including Virgil van Dijk, but he definitely, uh, it was quite enjoyable hearing him say what he said after the game yesterday, Rob, And but a good point for United. A very good point for Manchester United. I said to you off camera, Scott, I don't think I've celebrated internally a nil-nil draw like that for many, many years. Because sometimes, Scott, you just got to go do the job. Go get the point, jump into the fire, jump into hell and get out somehow. And this was a game, Scott, where the script was written before, wasn't it? Everyone talking about the end of Ten Hag, the end of Manchester United as we know it, and a new project. And what did United do? They actually put in a shift and got a result. So well done to our lads because it wasn't the greatest performance ever, but they did what they had to do. It was an awful game, really. It, yeah. it was an awful game of football. Uh, but you take that. I think most teams in the Premier League would take a, a nil-nil at Liverpool. I think most of them would. An awful um, game is better than getting hammered by seven. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, we definitely know how we feel about that. How did United do it? We'll talk about that throughout the show today. We'll discuss positives, uh, potential negatives. We'll talk about the new star boy, Kobe Manu, who is uh, just... That's three games he's played now. I think he played at Everton, at Newcastle, and at Liverpool. Three starts, and he looks tailor-made and, and ready for this. And the, the missing part of United's midfield... Uh, We'd like to see him play more often, but we'll see Eric Ten Hag's managing his minutes. But Eric Ten Hag did manage to take a point from Anfield yesterday in a nil-nil draw. We'll be talking mainly about all of that today. Uh, please get in touch with us and uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. And watch us on YouTube, The Promised Land and Man United podcast. Like the video, leave a comment. Hit the notification bell as well so you never miss a show and get in touch with us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at TPL MUFC. Where do you want to start today, Rob? Because I, I think everybody in the world seemed to expect that United were going to lose that. I mean, I thought Liverpool, Liverpool were bad. Like, let's, let's just say that Liverpool were not at their very best, but I think United deserve a bit of credit for that as well. Um, they got to a point where they, Seemed to run out of ideas, really. Uh, but everything was off. The quality was off. I jokingly tweeted at one point, Man United have found a way to play at Anfield, and that's dragging the opponent down to their level. <laughs> uh, which uh, United in the first half, you look at McTominay, and he was captain for the day, but the way that the ball bounced off him when United are trying to progress the ball, you know, and he wasn't the only one either. Uh, but I think... United probably could have had more chances than they had if their build-up and their quality on the ball had have been better when they played it up the pitch. There was a moment where Diogo Dallo in the second half got a vertical pass off Onana and 
turned, accelerated, and drove past into the space in midfield. Mm. Had like four up, three or four options, and he gave the ball away. And yeah. I'm like, come on, man. We'll talk about Dallas' red card as well at some point. Where do you want to start, Rob? We'll start at the beginning, I think, with the team selection. Uh, you, you saw that the manager decided to play uh, Kobe Manu. So I think that was that was a positive straight away when people saw the team sheet. Kind of, Scott, kind of feeling we need to see that more. Like I'm not quite sure why the manager sees that is his best selection when he's going to Anfield and hasn't played it in other games. That's fair. You know, like we, we've said... Why are you playing certain things? Well, we know that Bruno Fernandes wasn't there yesterday, so he was forced to kind of put that midfield out and do it with that midfield. And as you said, Scott McTominay there on the ball and off the ball. Pretty horrific, I would say. But I do think that United went there with the right mindset. So you were going there knowing it was going to be a bad day. You know, Liverpool are going to have lots of opportunities. So you have to not kill yourself, Scott. Don't kill yourself. Don't go there and give the opponent something easy. Because I think that's what we've seen with Man United consistently this year, is that United have consistently lost games, allowed opponents to hurt them by doing silly things. So I don't think that was their present yesterday. I think, you know, I think the, the midfield two playing in the four two three one and the centre-backs all did their jobs and meshed quite nicely. And you got through the game, Scott. And do you know what? A nil-nil in that scenario is a great, great result. And I know people, people want to joke that, oh, you know, it's just a nil-nil draw at Anfield. This could have been so bad. And after the last few weeks, you know, it could have been the end of Eric Ten Hag yesterday, couldn't it? If you'd lost badly yesterday, this morning, this show today would have been, will Eric Ten Hag be sacked in the next day or two? I don't think we're doing that show today, are we? You, you look at it, though, and I, I just think when you see that the way that they did apply themselves yesterday, like... I, I do find the talk a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you, there's a stat floating around compar- comparing Eriton Hogg's first, I think, 60, 70 games to Klopp's and Arteta's. Mm. It's better. Yeah. It's better. And the the difference is, oh, well, Ten Hag spent a lot of money in this this kind of thing. We know that's a problem. That's always been a problem anyway. Uh, and, you know, I feel like you kind of have to, I, there are glimpses for me. There are glimpses in certain moments where I feel like I'm starting to see things that Ten Hag wants to do, but you need to have the level of application that United put in at Anfield yesterday. Every single game, McTominay said it after the game, every three days, mm. like, or it might be every seven days now because United are out of Europe. So, you know, after Christmas, so they have two games in January. If you can just get through these next two games, this this period of games, you know, and stay in touch. I think the season becomes more, not more simple, but more manageable given like the injury crisis. Like United had 10 players out yesterday. Yeah. First teamers. 10 proper first teamers. Well, you you say, you say first teamers. I I would look at like say five or six of them and say, I would call them starters. Mm. But then the, the other players that are missing are first substitutes. Yeah. So it is like... They were really up against it yesterday. And I think the, the level of application they showed, which is something we always criticize them for, that they, mm. they don't always show it. But when, when they do, it, it shows that they can do it. And I, I don't think we're at a, a, a time where the manager should be getting questioned. But unfortunately, it's, it's United, you know. And yeah, obviously, they're really far off, in, far off the pace, this kind of thing. But there's so many circumstances outside of that. Yeah. You know, that I just think... Give the bloke time. Give him time. And watch now. We'll turn around and lose 3-0 to West Ham next weekend and we'll be right back in the same position. But anyway, that's how I feel. But it's you're not wrong though, mate, because I think the thing is, this is how it goes. And it's like, this is my theory on this team from top to bottom, is that they go to Anfield and they, they know, they understand the critical nature of it. So they put in a performance. But yet at home against Bournemouth, they go, oh, well, this is Bournemouth. We'll just we'll just do us do what we do, and it's like yeah, what you do is not good enough. You know, you need to be more of a cohesive unit and work together. <clears throat> and I think that's what we saw at Anfield is that they understood that there was pressure in the game. You understand that Liverpool can really hurt you, and yet Liverpool with their thirty-seven opportunities on goal, which sounds horrific. And I think they're the not first... opportunities though, Rob. They're, they're, they're shot. not really a lot ones. of them speculative. You know, <laughs> and like... they're shots from like thirty yards. Like you know, they're not then. Like the XG on the, on the day was around two and a half, just below two and a half for Liverpool. And that is the true story. That shows that Liverpool didn't really create 
a lot of killer chances in the game. Yes, they had more than enough chances to win it. Of course they did. But that was a success. That meant that you kind of blocked that middle part of the pitch off and you allowed Liverpool to go to the wings, to go wider. You stopped their midfield completely driving through you. You just highlighted there the, the, the low part in midfield. When Delo did that spin, you're pleasantly surprised, aren't you? You're like, oh, that's what you'd like to see in that part of the park. But then he gives the ball away. So the first part was... I was saying to him, don't lose it, don't lose it. Uh, not to him, but I was watching yeah. saying, don't lose it, don't lose and it, don't lose it. And he, it. And he lost it. <laughs> like, so... It's like they're doing half the function every time. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a success, but then we give it away. Oh, we've 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 broken down play, but then we've given the ball away. Oh, there's a counter press on. Oh, we've got a chance on goal, and then we missed the chance. So it, it, that's why I think Ten Hag does persist with the tactics because he feels it's just going to click one day and we're going to beat teams. You know, that's what he's trying to facilitate. But I think again yesterday, you're managing fires. You just got to put that fire out and make sure you get the point. United did that, and I think it comes from that centre of the pitch. And I think Kobe Manu, he he has yeah. got to start games. Whatever people think about saving his legs as a youngster and all of this, you are now in a needs-must situation because he is the best central midfielder at the football club. Been saying it for six months. Now we're at that point, Scott. I think you will lose games if Kobe Manu doesn't start games. Well, you, you look at next weekend, right? And you yeah. think West Ham away. But you look at the, the midfield that he's been picking this season. Or in, more in recent weeks with Amrabat mm. kind of fixing into that six mm. spot. And then you have McTominay and Bruno Fernandes. And we did say before the game that I think you might see a more functional, better midfield without Bruno Fernandes in there. And that's no, that's not to, you know, mm. that's not to criticise him too much or anything like that. But you know what you're getting with Bruno Fernandes. And that's a lot of running, a lot of mouthing and a lot of 50-50s that are 50-50s, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the way that the midfield works, and we've said it a few times, I think you can only facilitate one of Fernandez or, or McTominay. You can't do both because I think you, you kind of lose McTominay. Like, fair play to him, captain. I know you don't like this, Rob, but fair play to him for being captain is a big proud moment for him. But at the same time, you know that he ain't really contributing to your build up and is often a passenger when out of possession as well. Uh, saying that he did make the chance for Hoyland that that, that first pass uh, before United's best chance of the game, but it's either McTominay or Fernandez for me. And I think you're looking at you're looking at Kobe now. He's starting to get some getting some minutes. He's dealt with three probably of the toughest atmospheres in the Premier League in his first three starts. Not started at Old Trafford yet, right? I don't, right. I don't think no. Uh, but he's passed those tests. He has. Hmm. And I feel like what you see with him is calmness, uh, the ability to think under pressure. It looks like he's got more time than he has. And he has an eye for a pass as well. And he, he passed in, uh, he played that through ball for Garnacho. Like maybe Bruno can do that as well. But for me, I, I'm just looking at this period now and Bruno's suspension's over. It's got to be Amrabat or Amrabat or Casemiro. Kobe probably has to be in there and then one of McTominay or, or Bruno Fernandes, you know? And I think that's a much better balance than what we've been seeing with the, the six and the two eights. It's not rocket science. It really isn't rocket science. Like what you've just said in the last three seconds there is exactly what everyone sees every week. So I think this is where as much as we back Eric Ten Hag and we say he needs time, that's cool. And we all agree with that is that that tactic it's pretty simple and pretty obvious. So I think you saw it against Liverpool is that McTominay played the 10, didn't he? So he's in that kind of floating role. He's neither striker nor midfielder. He's in the middle there. But you better be creative in there. So he makes that pass into Hoyland, where obviously Hoyland has his big opportunity and fires it, unfortunately, straight at the goalkeeper. But if you give the ball away 20 times for that one pass, Scott, it doesn't work. And unfortunately, that's the same with Bruno. Bruno can give you that pass that Kobe that, that, that Kobe did right through the middle, of, through the heart of the Liverpool team. But he can't do the other bits that Kobe did. He can't hold on to the ball. He can't create that calmness. So that's the problem with Bruno playing the eight. So this is not about an 18-year-old versus a 29-year-old. This is purely about function and about what the player does. And, and I think that this is what we saw yesterday was that that midfield was just more functional because it had to be. Because if you were dysfunctional yesterday, guess what? You're losing 3-0. 
just you don't even need to turn up. That's what's going to happen. So that is the choice for Eric Ten Hag here. Is that I would say at the moment in Ten Hag's head, Bruno and Scotty are your first two picks in the team almost. Like they're the two players he wants to base the team around. These two eights. It hasn't worked this year at all, Scott. We've not seen anything that makes you go, actually, they combine well, or actually, that's really helping Hoyland, or actually, United are brilliant on the counter-press and our presses, but you're not seeing any of that. You're forced to do it sometimes, but you don't, you're not forced to do it every week. So this is the whole thing about Kobe Manu now, I think, has to be the starting midfielder. You've got to put him in there and build everything around him, and that does mean Amrabat then. So Amrabat made ch- mistakes yesterday, but he at least allows... Cobby to go and be Cobby, and you can go and be a proper midfield and work. So big decisions for Eric Ten Hag. So I think if he just sticks by that function of Bruno and Scotty running your midfield, you will lose more games and you'll probably get sacked. What do you think? And that's the bottom, that's the bottom line. I, I think it's as obvious as that, Scott. I really do. I think it's as obvious as that. Is if you want to keep doing the same thing that doesn't work, you will get punished for it eventually. What do you uh what do you make of Amrabat so far? Because I'm not convinced, I've got to say. He's not getting bought, is he? Like, let's be honest, he's on loan. He's nah, not, they're not going to buy him because they wanted to have a look at him over a period of time and see what his function is, what he, how he can help you. I think Man United, when they look at the structure of this, they're not going to execute a deal for a player that is still very much on the fringe in terms of Eric Ten Hag, isn't he? Like, I, I did the, the video before about the, uh, the Amrabat solution, as I called it. And do you know what, Scott? I think if United played 4-2-3-1, then Amrabat, as it stands today, is part of the solution. You could play better football doing that. But this manager doesn't want to do that. He wants to play with a single pivot. Now, if Amrabat is your single pivot, you're going to have trouble. That's just the way it goes. But if you've got uh, Manu next to him, I think it's a whole lot better. It's just more functional. Now, he's not the, he's not the solution long-term. He really, really isn't. And you can see that parts of the game, Scott, that go past him, like he cannot cope with the pace of midfield versus midfield. But he's better than most of them at it. He's better than Bruno mm. running that eight, uh, running 6-8. He's better than Scott McTominay running the 6-8. He's better than Fred doing the 6-8, and Fred's gone. So this is the prom- problem. It's like, I don't know if it's, do you keep Amrabat? It's, what do you do in the windows to come to solve the midfield dilemma? Because that's the, that's the difference between Liverpool and, say, Man United, is that Liverpool went and solved their dilemmas, and even yesterday had midfield problems. But it's a work in progress. Whereas Man United, it is again just fighting fires. You're like, how do you stop hurting yourself through the centre of the park? And I think some of those solutions are really easy. It's up to the manager to pick the team to make sure you don't lose football matches. Yeah, I think it's the profiling of the midfield. I understand that cash was tight in the summer at United. But you look at, well, Rob, we... (laughs) It's just a bit more cash than most. Yeah, but... You look at Declan Rice. How long are we talking about Declan Rice? You know, and th- th- if you want to play a single pivot, you need somebody who can actually do play it. the single pivot. <laughs> yeah. Don't like, don't do Casemiro, whose legs have gone. Don't do Amrabat, who's like not really that. He's he looks like he's running through treacle at times. You know, um, I know. Like, uh, it, it's 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 kind of sad, but he's do he's filling the he's filling a gap. But like you said, Rob, curical vehicle reversing. It feels yeah. like sometimes it's like it's all very slow, and it's and you can see the games actually happening around him. And he's like, my body doesn't function at this pace. It was like Nemanja Matic in the last couple of years. It's a really good comparison. <laughs> the Matic thing is a really good comparison. Yeah, yeah intelligent yeah. footballers who can do certain things. But if you ask them to do stuff that they're not so good at, they might get exposed. And it kind of is the same question. What we're saying about Bruno Fernandez, like if you want him deeper, playing the six eight you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself. And then at the end of the game, you're probably going to say, well, why did you do that? <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if I'm right. I feel sorry for him in a way, Scott, because I don't think he's had a fair crack of the whip and he's been trying to get his fitness back and he's admitted that. I think you did see yesterday that it's about pairings in football, centre-back pairings, midfield pairings, full-back pairings, forward pairings. And that's how you beat teams. You know, if you get those pairings right, you are a better unit. And, I, I just think United were better yesterday in a lot of their work than some of the work we've seen this season, which has just looked crazy at times. Just to stick on the midfield for a second. I mean, yeah. we talked about Amrabat there. Will they trigger the option? I doubt it. Like, that Ineos coming in, looking at that, I doubt it. And then you've got Casemiro, who's probably in his last 
He's going to leave by the summer. That's that's pretty much a guarantee. Christian Eriksen, you probably think, unless he gets a renewed deal, he's definitely the most he's going to be next season if he stays as a rotation option. The absolute most. Yeah. So then you're looking at potentially three midfielders you might have to replace in the summer. Mm. I haven't even counted McTominay there. <laughs> like we all know that we, we all know that these players have a time limit on their their time at Old Trafford. So this is a potential to remodel the midfield that you have. And if you if you buy somebody that's technically proficient, tall and physical enough with a good engine, these players go for expensive money, but you can look at look at look across other leagues in Europe and probably find a, a bargain or two. And if you just fill your team up with more players who can think under pressure, pass the ball, be composed, you've already got one in Kobe. Kobe, you know, if you can find somebody more uh, naturally defensive who can sit in that protect, protection role in the box, play Kobe around him. And then that midfield can facilitate somebody like Bruno Fernandes a lot more. But you need to fill your squad with more options that are capable of doing everything. And there's loads of them around. There are. There's a whole like six to seven billion human beings on the planet telling me you can't find one or two for your midfield. Like it, they do exist. Like you just saying there, Scott, and you just said about facilitating. I do think that Eric Ten Hag would play and say like I think Bruno. Let's take him as as the example. Is that if you were just to make your team about Bruno being the ten and then finding midfielders that complemented him. I think you're okay. I think Bruno then shines as the 10. We know that under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that when Bruno was just being a 10 or tasked to maybe start the press to run with the the centre-forward. So yesterday we saw United kind of go to a 4-2-4 shape at times. And you you saw kind of almost like two centre-forwards, but it wasn't really. It was just in the press or in in the setup. That Bruno can absolutely do that. Go let Bruno do that at the top of the pitch. But you don't have to go and look after the other bits uh, behind him. I do think with Eric Ten Hag... I don't think he fancies Bruno as a 10. Like I, I've seen so many games where I've gone to Old Trafford, Scott, and gone, he has to start Bruno as a 10 today. There's no chance. This game has to have Bruno as the 10, and Bruno starts as the 8, or Bruno starts wide right, or Bruno does something else. So I kind of feel sympathy for the captain. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I feel he'd rather just be the 10. But I don't think the manager fancies him there because he doesn't do it enough when he's got the opportunity. So he just said they're buying a new midfield. Chelsea went and spent 222 million on two number sixes. Yeah. And it still doesn't work because it takes ages to make it work. But you've got to go buy the players first. It is not going to work with Scott McTominay. It probably isn't going to work with Sofian Amrabat. It will work with Kobe Manu. You get Manu in there and play him and buy players to complement the bits that do work for you. That ball, Scott, that you saw there and you said about going into Garnacho. Manu's got that in spades. Man United fans might not have seen it, but that's what he does. He can hit, pick the ball up in the number eight position, and his vision is as good as Bruno Fernandes in that in that position. It's just that he's not known for it. He can do that ball all day week, all day every week. And when he's an England footballer one day, Scott, he's going to be playing that ball through to Jude Bellingham running through the ten, and everyone's going to go, "Wow, that's world class. That's to come. That's a spoiler." So. I think United need to get on that now. We need to start doing that a lot more now. And this manager needs to push that agenda more than he has done. You you mentioned Chelsea. Uh, we will move back to the game in a minute. You mentioned mm. Chelsea's midfield there. Chelsea spent all that money, 220-odd million, on two players that moved yeah. for a combined total of about less than 15 million about 18 months before. Exactly. So those players are out. They're making those. Like They're, they're in production. You just have to mm. find them. And if you if you find them before they're ready, fine. I'm happy to sit there as long as they've got the fundamentals. Like, and you kind of bring them in and you treat them, to bring them in the team, bring them out of the team, and you mix the minutes with some more experienced players in in order to down the line get to a point where they are your established first teamers. I'm I'm more than happy with that. But um, yeah, let's go back to the game. Uh, we talked about the midfield. Shout out the defense, perhaps. Um, mm. Rafa Varane, player of the match. Really weird, but uh, Rob, I, I know that I've I've sat here and I've I've tried to uh, defend Ten Hag on this, but mate, I'm sorry, this is just weird. Like it's indefensible. I I don't understand, Eric. <laughs> like unless you've fallen out with him, and you might have. Fair enough, and maybe Varane is another player that's going to leave at some point. And this, you look at this team now. I've just <laughs> I've started talking about a few players. Johnny Evans, the, the two centre backs. You don't think they'll be there this time next season no. either? You know. How many players am I talking about here that aren't going to be here 
within the next six to 12 months. Mm. But anyway, Rafa Varane playing left centre back, was he? Yes. In the Salah channel, the danger channel. It's just weird, Rob. Like, what, what's happened there? Like, I, I don't... Eric, you, you have to... Eric Ten Hag has to take some some criticism for this one because I don't get it. His explanation was that I don't like playing him in the left centre-back role because it doesn't help us. Mm, not for me. This all comes down to man management, Scott. So <clears throat> I think we do know that, that Varane's fallen out with Ten Hag. We know this from weeks gone by. And for me, this is why Ten Hag does choose certain players and not others. I think if you assimilate and agree with the manager and agree with what Ten Hag wants, great. I think he gives you an opportunity to either succeed or fail. I think if you don't like what the manager... Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply wants you to do for whatever reason or do, you don't like you, you don't you don't have that personal ability with the manager I think he bins you pretty quickly so this is why I think even though I'm not comparing the two situations with Jaden Sancho but because Jaden Sancho won't do what Ten Hag wants off you go mate and I think it's the same with Varane all these weeks Scott he should have been playing Rafa Varane it doesn't matter whether you think he can play left centre back he's better than everything else you've got there to play in that role so do it and I think with Harry Maguire, I think it was like that last year. He didn't want to play Harry Maguire, and he didn't. And I think the start of this season, he didn't want to play Harry Maguire. And he got to a point where you were forced to play him, and Maguire then plays his way into the team, doesn't he, and, and, and earns his spot. But I think that's been the story the 18 months with Ten Hag. So I do think there is some criticism there towards the, the coach, because I think you have to have, you have to be able to bite your own lip and do things that you don't want to do to stop yourself losing games. I'm not quite sure Eric's the best at that. I'm not sure Eric is the best at looking at a game and thinking, well, today isn't risk and reward day, lads. Today is about shut it down, play karma and play within yourselves. Does Ten Hag ever really do that? So <clears throat> like you just said there, Evans and, and Varane, they're not going to be at the club next summer. So you just said there about buying a whole new midfield. Might be buying a whole new centre backs here at the moment. Well, well, Harry Maguire. Not talked about Harry Maguire. Maguire won't probably be at the club. You're probably going to sell Maguire. Though the irony of all of this big round of the last six months is he might end up getting a new contract and be captain again. Like that would be strange, wouldn't it? But no, but that could happen. Think of it. Like think of this conversation we're having now, Mm. and think of the expectations that he's battling against. Totally. You know, so he's having to challenge for. Where did people put United this season? At least in the top four, hmm. with a group of players really that he's using at the moment that are not going to be here in six months. Yeah, but, but he has to manage those situations. The team. 
the core mm. of the team. I will say this, by the way. Um, <coughs> maximum, hopefully, of four game, four league games before Lisandro Martinez is back. Yes, huge. United play three games before the end of the year, and then one Premier League match. One Premier League match in January. What the hell are we going to do on the podcast? Mm. Um, but you know, maybe some players will be leaving. Maybe some players will be brought in. But yeah, Martinez is back on the pitch, isn't he? So I yes. think we're talking about this left centre back problem position. As long as he's fit, he's a starter every single match, as we've yeah. seen already. And but he helps you know, a lot of your build up as well. You, you found a solution yesterday to that. And you have found solutions to this left centre back problem that I think has become a problem, unfortunately, because of the manager. I think the manager hasn't picked his best defence week to week to week because he sees the game differently. Now, I'm not saying we know better than him, but when we see what we saw yesterday with Varane, let's never say ever again that Rafa Varane, who's won a billion Champions Leagues and played in all sorts of defences, can't play the left side of the centre-back. Of course he can. He can play there, but you have to choose that and you have to start with that. And if you want to start Luke Shaw there or you want to start Lindelof there, but then your your whole defence collapses in game, Scott... I think this is why Harry Maguire looks so good on the pitch because Harry Maguire is the one doing his job, but other players haven't been able to do that job. So uh, you Robert, live and I die by I... these decisions. You live and die by them. You know, he picks the team and it's not perfect. You've had all these injuries, but I don't think he's really flexed his muscle in some of the positions that he could have done as a coach. I think they've had nine different centre-back periods this season. It's mad. <laughs> nine. Have we got nine nine centre-backs at the club? I don't even know. We've, we haven't even got that many. Have we? <clears throat> it's mad. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, and some and of that's enforced and some of it isn't. Hmm. I've watched games this season gone, why don't you just do the simple thing there? Play Varane and Maguire and get on with it. Like, does, You don't have to tweak everything every week because that's a manager's choice, isn't it? Nine centre-back periods could have actually been six, Scott. The truth you could have stuck with some of those things. So it's up to Eric to pick the team. But I think this is why people have criticised him as well, is that some of the coaching decisions haven't been brilliant. Right. So the centre-backs played well. <laughs> Johnny Evans, big shout-out to him as well. Yep. Uh, 36 years old, however old he is, and still doing it. Yep. I mean, that was a it was a good defensive performance. What did you make of... Uh, let's, should we do the red card? What, it, yeah. Do you want to come back to that right at the end? I just do a bit of Evans, actually. I don't know if you saw one bit with Johnny Evans where when the game stopped and broke down because of an injury, how he walked out of the defence and went to Cobby and had a really good chat with him. I don't know if you saw that on camera. No. He went up to him and he was like, right, mate, you do this. I'm here. And you could see him coaching Cobby like a captain, like going, this is what this that was leadership. And you don't want Johnny Evans in your defence, Scott, being completely honest. Not starting games at Anfield. He's too old and, it's you know, he's a cover player. But that is what you want from your centre-back, to go to the young lad and say, right, you're doing well, mate, but do this. Screen me here. Look after this here. I'll get the ball to you. We'll get the ball out, play out from the back, which was disastrous at times yesterday. But that's what you want from centre-backs, so, isn't uh, it? Uh, no, I'm going to put you up there. I don't think playing out from the back was actually the problem. I think playing no. through the middle was the problem. It's the midfield. Yeah, it's from defence to midfield. Like I'm still a little bit concerned about Anana's perchance to clip the ball to the wing every time he's got the ball. But I kind of think he doesn't. No, I, I, he hasn't I, got the ball on the midfield, has he? He got a lot of stick for that yesterday. He got a what lot of stick say? on commentary for that yesterday. Yeah, that was that was the option that they picked. Yeah, a lot of a lot of occasions it was tight to the touchline, but there were players taking that under control and losing it. Yes, I know he kicked a couple out. Um, and it looked, it, there was like a period in the game where he kicked out two or three in a row within a few minutes. And then mm. Carragher and Neville were like, well, what, what's he doing? I thought his distribution was pretty good overall yesterday. I think his distribution as a body of work over the season hasn't been good enough for me. I agree I, with that. And I think that's what, that's what the kind of numbers reflect. But I do think that when he's got the ball on the edge of his box or he's just on the edge of his box, he's around that area that United need to come up with a system to be able to give him an out ball, and they haven't yet. So here he is, being at the club now months and months and months, and United still haven't worked out how to do that. And I find that that's more shocking to me in coaching terms because you just need to be able to make sure that two of your midfielders move and spread the play and open the play up so there's a pass on for this goalkeeper that can clearly pass the ball. Like, he is head and shoulders above David De Gea. But do you know what? De Gea used to do that ball as well, Scott because there was nothing on. De Gea used to clip that ball to the right wing, to the left wing, and it would go over someone's head and we'd all say, 
oh, it's because David De Gea can't pass a football. Well, Anana can pass a football. So what is wrong here? Why is he clipping it too far? Why is he clipping it like that? Because that ball should be on the deck. It should be played to someone's feet. You just said there about Delo. When Delo got the ball inverting in the middle, two or three times he turned. But then as you got into midfield, it all kind of collapsed. And that's what we see every week at Man United is when the ball's in midfield, they can't make it stick and they can't play through anyone at all. It wasn't really the problem yesterday, but it was still shocking, I think, when it happens and you see United lose the ball in those areas because it scares you on the counter-press. I think there was a period in the game, and I, I could be wrong here, but there was a period in the game where Onana was clipping those balls wide and it mm. was not really coming back. Like Liverpool changed their tactics and maybe this this helped a little bit because they went more 4 2 4 didn't they? But he was clipping them wide and then some space seemed to open up when he had the ball in the middle, you know? And then he mixed it up a bit. Then yeah. you see that he can clip one out wide to Anthony. And he like that's that's a direct pass. So you don't see enough of. And Anthony carries it towards the edge of the box and United have half a chance. Yeah. You know? Um, I think it's gonna this kind of thing, like and even with Highland and, and this kind of thing, what you're looking at is a team that doesn't know how to bloody progress a ball. They mm. can't Rasmus Highland's received the fewest passes in the league for a striker. Yeah. Like and Martial is second second bottom on that list that that's that was floating around before the game this is just a team that doesn't have a clue yeah so ten Hag is trying to have to coach them in real time and i would make the, make the same case they don't pass to the striker they also don't don't know how to receive it off a goalkeeper mm. so that's why you're not seeing the best of onana but i, I think to me I, th- I thought his distribution was okay yesterday I, I, that's not something i pull him up on um some hairy moments in terms of like I think there was one he tried to come out and catch a ball and dropped it in the first half. Um but I, I do respect as much criticism as Onana's getting, I do respect the fact that he is willing to be big enough to come up and say, I'm here, I'm ready to take it. And he said, uh there was a quote that flo- floated around after the game. He said, of Amfield's atmosphere, I felt nothing. I'm sure that they will try and make him feel something the next time he goes there. <laughs> yeah, But fair play. Look, he's a goalkeeper that's been playing in the San Siro for the last year or so. <clears throat> he absolutely knows what big crowd atmospheres are. And I think that's one of the reasons why you bought him, Scott, was for his personality. Is that, you know, I do, I've do. i read a quote this morning, actually, just before we went live, that he said, don't get too high, don't get too low. Yes, I, I know. I was going to bring I that thought, up, actually. Where have I heard that from before? So, <laughs> you know, um, trademark, et cetera, et cetera. That, that was just, it, that's where it was a social media post, I think. Oh, was it? Right, okay. Well, good. I'm glad because, do you know what? That is exactly what your goalkeeper should be. He should be like that. It's like, if you have a good performance, you don't pat yourself on the back. You just get on with it. And I do think, I do think um, he said last week in an interview, either, I think it was Manchester Evening News, and said, you know, I'm not happy at Man United. And he meant he's not happy with his performances. So I'm, 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 I'm good with that. He's not, he's not blinded to the fact that he needs to be better, but everyone else needs to be better. And that's what he's trying to get across. So um, yeah, look, if Man United could improve that function of goalkeeper to midfield, but then midfield to the forward line, you you sort out 95% of your problems. Like if you can do some of just the fundamentals in the center of the park and move the ball on, this will get solved pretty quickly. So I think this is, this is the challenge to Eric Ten Hag because if Eric Ten Hag stays at Man United, he has to make these functions work somehow. I don't know how new players, I think, are the answer. But you can't then just go, oh, well, Anana doesn't save the ball like how we want. So let's get rid of the goalkeeper now and get another goalkeeper. You have to make it work with other players, don't you? So I think that's that when you see United go out from the back, it's all like good intentions, isn't it? Like, you know, they want to do it. It's just that they can't do it. You have to find solutions for that. Otherwise, you just can't do it. You said there about the ball from... Uh, an honor to Anthony that was on all day yesterday and Anthony was willing Anthony was like hit it over the top I'm gonna run watch me go and the one or two times United did it Liverpool's whole defense broke apart into pieces mm-hmm. they could have done that a whole game Scott they could have done another five or six times and you would have been fine you could have had Rashford on in those channels and just gone Rashi, you stand there and we're just going to clip it over and you're going to run in straight lines. Would you have started Rashford on the right? And I know that Ten Hag said that he was ill and he still had that hangover from being ill. I thought that's the way I thought he would go. But obviously, if he's not fit enough to do it. um, And I maybe... I think people overlook, though, and like he gets a lot of stick and fair play. Def- Anthony's defensive mind, I think that's why he stayed on. You know? 
That's why you play him. Like you play That's him because play him. he's literally the only person that bothers pressing on that side. So, and I think the difficult thing is, is that all these United players are doing multiple jobs when maybe you'd want them just to do one or two things better. So you'd like Anthony to be more creative, wouldn't you? But there's a lot of weight on him to kind of control the whole press on that side because he's the only one who really goes and triggers. And you just said about Marcus. Marcus Rashford has been ill. That's been the, the, the line coming out of Manchester United for the last week or two. But this is Liverpool. Marcus Rashford's one of your best players. If Marcus has got a cold or is not well, has got a virus, generally players do play. So I think the truth is, Scott, he's not playing because of his form. That's it. I, I think when Marcus came on, there were still things that weren't right. He came on and just didn't look right to me. Just not doing the right action, not not looking after the space like he should, not even being on the front foot. There was one bit, you know, where he gets the ball across and United should score. It's a kind of tapping, isn't it? You should, I think, I think Hannibal runs across the front post. One of them should get a touch on it. That's what Marcus can give you in that kind of moment. But it's the other moments. It's where he loses the ball. It's where he he wants to just stand on the touchline with the ball at his feet and the game then slows down. <clears throat> we shouldn't really be talking about that with a £350,000 a week footballer. We shouldn't. And he needs to be better. And I think that's why he sat on the bench. And I'm fine with that. If Ten Hag's looking at that in training and going, you're not doing it for me, lads. So you're on the bench. I'm fine with that because I think that's the kind of hard decisions that a manager needs to make. Just uh, just to revert back, Andrew Onana's post was in credit. Mm. Uh, he didn't didn't credit you, Rob. Uh, I, never I'm too, gutted. Never too high, never too low. Only positive thinking. Thanks to the away fans today. We need said. a t-shirt with it on. <laughs> right. Let's um, red card. Any, let, let, do you want to do anything else before the red? Or... Not really. Like, I don't think there was a lot of depth to the performance of Man United, but there was enough that you saw there that maybe they should go into games this season for the rest of the season, trying not to lose. Maybe start. There was, there with was that. A, if if you build on, and that's something that they did quite well last season. Yeah, focus on keeping clean sheets to yeah. start with, and then build on it. And I think what we went back to yesterday was a desire to keep a clean sheet. People working for each other, sticking to the plan. And they had their moments where if they could have used the ball a bit better, maybe they would have had more chances than they did have. Hmm. Um, but that's a foundation to build off. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure we'll be having similar conversations to what we've had in previous weeks after the West Ham game. <laughs> I think West Ham will uh, be a tougher game now. I really do. Yeah, potentially. But anyway, right. So United got their point, hmm. but they finished a man light because Diogo Dallo won a throw in and then was a bit frustrated 94 minutes into the game that he didn't get a decision that he wanted and was booked twice for the same thing within 10 seconds. Yeah. So, I mean, we criticised Dallow, but come on. Like, I don't... Rob, I, I don't know where to start with this. Um, I think it's gross incompetence from Michael Oliver, right? Because th this, again, is about the PGMOL and their ridiculous, stupid directives that change every few weeks. So this year, the, the line from them is, we are clamping down on dissent. So if, if you do the same line of dissent within three seconds, but you see two actions, so that's two yellow cards, is it? No, it isn't. That's ridiculous. So absolutely, the first one is a yellow card. The, the sad thing is, is the Delo's absolutely right. Salah kicks the ball out. So that's what he's protesting about. It's the 91st minute at Anfield. You're in a cauldron and you're expecting players to not show any emotion at any point or any time. So a yellow card there would have been suitable. Oliver could have gone over and said, hang on, lad, calm it down. It's the end of the game. And I'm here, your referee, to manage this. But what did he do? He went to steal the headline. So I think this is the problem with some of English referees. We see it a lot, Scott, is that you see referees making these what I would call knee-jerk decisions. He gives the yellow card and you do see Delo turn around and kind of throw his arms up. But he doesn't go to the referee, doesn't get in his face. Frustra he's frustrated. Like he's frustrated because he's right. Like, like, like he's right. Like, like Salah's kicked the ball out of play and a billion fans around the world who's watching the game can see that Salah just kicked the ball out of play. It's up to the referee then to use discretion and say, right, yellow card, end of the game, shut your gob, don't be giving me any more because I will send you off. But he literally did it within two seconds. And in fact, it was so quick, he couldn't even get the second yellow out. It's like one yellow, I have to put it away now. 
now second yellow and everyone's like this is a joke isn't it so I think it was terrible I think when you also look at the passage of plays in the game uh, mate you look at uh, Darwin Nunes earlier on who, oh, si- who, who gets a yellow card turns to the referee claps him in his face afterwards claps him in his face does the old you should have put the other player was that three yellow cards then like uh, he didn't give him one yellow card uh, I mean if you're going to give the, the red card to Dalo you're sending everyone off just you're sending everyone off, a. Bruno Fernandes gets six yellow cards a week. Also, <laughs> like, like you just said, there, Darwin Nunes, yeah. three yellow. If you if you're judging it by that metric of how he sent off Dallo, that's three yellow cards for Darwin Nunes in a minute. So he has, he was not looking at the ball. He, he absolutely boshed Johnny Evans in the chest, like, fit, like really quite hurt him. I think that yeah. would hurt. That would hurt quite a lot of people. Then he starts. He kicks the ball away. After that, after mm. the whistle goes, like, yeah. But that's all right, supposedly. That's, that's fine. And then applauds applauds the decision for getting a yellow card. There were three that's or four three times, three or four times or so, I saw Liverpool players with acts of dissent in the game because they were getting frustrated and the referee didn't get his card out. So it, I think this is all about consistency again. We also talk about like VAR's involvement and I think how that's changed the game or how, how the reason why we have VAR, VAR and it's because we can't always trust the on-field referee to see everything. But then you're kind of making extra decisions, aren't you? So it was only just a, just to kind of digress there. There was the West Ham game yesterday, wasn't there? Where Soufal goes into the player with his arm raised into the player's jaw as he runs towards him. VAR doesn't see that. VAR has a conversation with the referee and no action is taken. It's a yellow card. So it's weird, Scott, because the whole idea about tech is that it's supposed to make decisions better. Now, I think yesterday you send a player off like that. I know VAR can't get involved with two yellow cards. Maybe we have to tweet that and say, well, hang on. Is there a clear and obvious error there? Because I think there is. I don't think that that's two acts of dissent because he turns around and goes, oh, and then gets back in position. Delo was back in his position. He wasn't like running towards the referee where that would have made it a little bit more obvious. So I think we see it with Michael Oliver a lot. He's supposed to be our top referee, but I see a lot of the grandstanding from him that every week in matches where little bit too big for his boots. Don't want to kind of put it like that, but he does do that with his refereeing. He tries to be forthright rather than accurate. That's another player that is now absent. I know. And you can't appeal it because it's two yellow cards. So it's, yeah. it's, it's stupid. So like if he'd done it, if he said give him a red card for two acts, say like, say he'd given it for the whole thing and said, yeah, straight red card because I didn't like your reaction. United could appeal it and it gets, gets turned over. But you can't the two yellow cards. So all these little technicalities you see in football are just rubbish. They're just it's stupid. You can change them, and I think that the referee there in that moment. What? Why did he feel that that's what the game needed? Like it really no, wasn't, no. was it? No. And imagine if Liverpool had scored off the back of that in that two or yeah. three minutes afterwards. You know, there would have been hell to pay. But no one would have given Man United sympathy because we don't get sympathy for those types of things, do we? Anyway, um, frustrating. But you know, overall, I think he's a. Uh... A hard-fought point. Liverpool were not their best. United weren't either, but at least they showed some kind of application uh, that means that they they deserve. I think they deserved a point in the end. I'll, I'll go that far. I think they deserved some. They deserved to take something from the game for me. They did. Um, as much as you will see now in the the next few days, criticism of oh, wow, you're celebrating a nil nil. Well, I don't think people are really. It's just you know, seeing yeah. some kind of metal. I think Roy Keane said it, of all people, yeah. after the game. He said it. He went, in the history of time, sometimes you have to go places and shut the door and get nil-nils and get out of there. And that's from Roy Keane, who was always demanding the standard. So I'm cool with that, because that's how we were saying, I think, before as well, uh, Scott. We were going, we, you know, we need to see United at least, at least kind of, you know, shut the door and stop Liverpool at source at times. And I think they did that successfully. And I think they did deserve their point. Nil-nil draw at Anfield in the circumstances. Again, it's all about context. I think it's a brilliant result. Let us know what you think. Get in touch with us in the comment section or on social media at double underscore Scott yeah. Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B. Although Rob might reply to you in 2024. Something and like at TPLMUFC as well any final thoughts rob before we uh, before we shoot off 
No, just very sad for Virgil van Dijk, you know, boo-hoo-hoo, you know, oh, you know, only one team wanted to win it and, and one team was, I think his words were I buzzing. I hate that, honestly, they were, I hate They were it. buzzing and, and, and again, Kino, just to mention him again, was absolutely right, it's arrogance. And I and mm. I and that was my one thing before the match as well. I thought, I really hope Liverpool just think they're going to turn up and score seven again because that gives us the best chance of getting a result. That's exactly what happened. I think Liverpool were arrogant in a lot of their play yesterday and it comes from... Your centre back there, like I think afterwards, yeah, you can be disappointed, but Jurgen Klopp turned it on his players. Jurgen Klopp afterwards and said, "When you know we have all these chances, thirty-six chances, didn't make loads of great chances, but we should win this game, and that's all you need to take away." So Virgil Van Dijk should be saying that about his own team and not worrying about Man United because we got the point and got out of there, and you need to you need to go and fix yourselves because I still think Liverpool showed yesterday that they're not the finished deal at the moment. Yeah, Liverpool play Arsenal next weekend. Uh, United go to West Ham. If mm. they can show the same application <laughs> levels and keep a clean sheet, just do a few different things a little bit better. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Bruno Fernandes will be back next week. Uh, so I'm sure you'll see McTominay, Amrabat and Fernandes in the midfield. And we'll be going back to the conversation we were having just about a week ago. I think at seven foot... I, 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 but put a bet on it right now, yeah. If I could put it, if I could do a bet online now, Kobe Manu won't start. He won't. He won't That's start. The, the top line is from this show. I think that he should be. Um, but anyway, we'll be back to preview that game uh, and talk about whatever's been happening in the United Sphere later this week. This is a post-match pod for the Liverpool game, and uh, you know some positives, some things to build on. But like we say. Have to do that every three days or now, well, over the Christmas period, every three days, and then into 2024, every seven days, <laughs> because United are out of a bunch of competitions. But anyway, subscribe wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube as well, the Promise Land and Man United podcast. Like this video, subscribe and leave a comment as well. Hit the notification bell so you never miss a show. And follow us, like I just said, at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore P, and at TPL MUFC. Until next time, Rob, we'll be back before Christmas, won't we? We will be. We will, and we'll probably be doing some stuff around Christmas as well because there's a lot of games coming up for United. But until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, if you have been watching. And uh, we'll see you next time for another Promised Land podcast. Until then, see you soon. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.